Hey, welcome to the podcast. We are honored you took the time to listen to this message. It is the last message in our series, In My Feelings. This is part four. If you're wondering where part three was, we unfortunately had some technical difficulties. We got this message for you, so sit back, relax, enjoy. Man, has anyone found this series helpful for them? I was, uh, I was reading the Bible, and in the Bible, it said that when Jesus spoke and when Jesus taught, he had authority unlike the teachers. And uh, it, during this series especially, one thing I've realized is that I am just a teacher. Uh, I don't have the authority that Jesus had. And one way that I realized that is because everything I've been speaking to you guys, I've just been trying to live it in my own life. Right? And I've realized that as much as I try to say it to you guys, I still, I still need it. I still am trying to live it uh, myself. And so... Uh, all that to say, if this hasn't been helping you, it's been helping me, so I'm thankful for it. And uh, we're in part four of In My Feelings. What we've been doing in this series is we have been learning how we can win the biggest battle within, the biggest battle in our lives, I should say, and that is the battle in our hearts. That's the battle within. If you guys have been with us for any part of this series, we have a title verse for our series that usually is right behind me, but these days it's about a 50-50 shot that it'll be working when, uh, when it's time to come. So uh, you guys might have to get old school if you guys have a phone or a Bible. Uh, our title verse for this series has been found in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 9. And it says this, it says, The heart, someone say the heart, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? This has been our title verse for this series. What we have been saying in this series is that our hearts lie to us. And what we have found is that so many of us live our lives based on our hearts, and our hearts is really a metaphor for our emotions. So many of us are emotionally driven, yet what we've been seeing in this series is that our feelings lie to us. And so a lot of times we end up uh, in, in situations and spots because of that. So what I want to do this morning is I want to put a bow on this series. This is the final message in our series. This is part four. What I want to do this morning is I want to give us one last battle technique that can help us as we begin to win this journey. Uh, for those of you guys who are unaware, yesterday was International Women's Day. Shout out for the ladies. <laughs> Women have many talents, many things that they are great at, many things that men cannot do. And one of the talents I admire about women is the ability to talk themselves out of things. Uh, <laughs> specifically uh, when it comes to police officers. I, uh, one thing I've realized talking to my sister, talking to my wife, talking to my mother, all of them at some point in their life have been pulled over. And one way or another, whether it's their words or something else, they've been able to talk themselves out of getting the ticket. And it's quite interesting to me, just by a show of hands, anyone in this room ever been able to talk themselves out of a ticket before? Anyone in this room? I see a couple males, one male who's a police officer, so I'm not sure that... <laughs> I don't know if that counts for my good friend, Lil. Wasn't so much talking himself out of it, just like, hey, Jim. <laughs> I'll be at the office in 15. <laughs> I've marveled at the way that females are able to talk themselves out of things. One thing for myself, uh, I got pulled over a few months ago. I'll tell you guys the story. I was driving, and I was, I was merging onto Anthony Hende, when all of a sudden in my rearview mirror, I saw these, these, uh, these flashing lights. And it was one of those undercover cop cars. You guys know about those things, the, 
the ghost cars, the ghost car. And uh, I was pulling onto the Hyundai, and I was thinking to myself, I was like, what could I have possibly have done to get pulled over? And so the only thing that came to my mind, because I knew I wasn't speeding, I said, I must, have just, I must have just forgot to signal. I must have forgot to signal. And so <laughs> as I was in my car and I'm pulled over, I'm thinking to myself, okay, how can I talk myself out of this? I'm a pastor. Like, I speak for a living. I'm sure I'll be able to come up with something to get myself out of this. It's just a signal. Like, that's the littlest thing in the entire world. And so I'm waiting for the officer to come. I roll down my window, and I'm like, good morning, officer. And he's like, did you know you're on a red light? And I was, like, so confused because, like, I'm about to go on the Anthony Hende. And I was like, where? And <laughs> then the officer was like, on 211th Street. You guys know that feeling your heart drops? You see, 211th Street is where I live. And this is just between me and you. There's a light on 211th Street right by my house that I, in my humble opinion as a pastor, I don't believe there should be a light there. It's one of those like three-way kind of things. And uh, you can only, it's like this and this. And so I'm always trying to turn left. And there's this eternal light. How many guys have an eternal light in your life somewhere? And so this road isn't that busy most times of the day. And so uh, I'm just confessing for myself, I would never throw my wife under the bus, but we both run that light all the time. <laughs> and so <laughs> as soon as the officer says 211 Street, my heart drops, because like, I know I run that light all the time. But I was, I was kind of confused, because like, I was pretty far from my house. I was like, how long had this guy been following me before? Like, maybe he's just been trying to get me for weeks, like just staking out. And so he goes back to his car. And remember, I'm trying to talk myself out of this thing. But then I, I'm just, I'm shook. Because like, I thought it was a signal light. Like, that's an easy thing. I'll never do it again. A red light, that's a whole other story. And so the officer comes back to, to the window and he says, uh, he says, sir, and, you know, I want to say something, but I'm just completely dumbfounded. And he's like, you know, I wanted to help you out. He's like, I wanted, I wanted to do something. He's like, but you didn't even stop. He's, he's like, you didn't even slow down. He's like, you went through it as if it didn't exist. And <laughs> I was just, at that point, like, I was just, Yes. And the officer write, wrote up the largest ticket I've ever got in my life. A ticket so large, I, I was unaware that, that traffic tickets would actually get that big. And uh, I was just, I was super, super sad about it. Uh, and it was tough. And the reason I'm telling you guys this story, it really doesn't have any theological meaning. I, there's no object lessons for patience that I could probably say that I needed. Uh, more so, I want to tee up the title of our sermon this morning, the last uh, in our message. The title of our message this morning is Talk Yourself Out of It. Talk Yourself Out of It. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, talk yourself out of it. You see, and, and more than even a title, this, 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 this phrase is a faith statement. It's something that I want us to do. It's something that I want us to teach us to do. What we've been doing over the last number of weeks, we've been learning how to fight the biggest battle of our lives. And one of the things that we've been doing every single day, we've just been saying, you know, we need to filter what comes into our hearts. We need to filter what comes into our minds. That's why we started doing the morning mixtape. Shout out to the mixtape. Anyone hear the mixtape? We had some guests this week. Mackenzie killed it. My wife, gosh, she was beautiful on there yesterday. Uh, but we've been putting these practices in place because what we've been saying is that if we want to win the battle in our hearts and the battle in our minds, we need to filter what we put into our lives. 
And so I've been saying we need to be very, very careful in what we do because all it takes is like just looking at your phone in the morning and something can ruin your day that fast. And I've been talking about practices and principles that we can put in place in order to protect ourselves. But this morning, what I want us to do, more than a principle, more than a practice, I want to give us a battle technique. Because this is what I believe to be true. Sometimes life is going to pull us over unexpectedly. Sometimes there's going to be things in our lives that we've never saw coming. And all of those principles, that morning mixtape, that morning devotion, all of the things that you've tried to put in your heart in order to help you in your day, suddenly those things will become obsolete. Because life has pulled you over unexpectedly because something in your life has happened that you did not see coming. And in those times and in those moments, and for a lot of us, those are very dark times and dark moments, I believe that we need to learn and we need to have the ability to talk ourselves out of things. We need to talk ourselves out of it. We need to talk ourselves out of things. I want to ask you guys something. Have any of you guys ever in your life, you felt like you did everything right on the outside, but you still don't feel good on the inside? Anyone has ever happened to someone before? It's like, man, I woke up, I, I just crushed it, I was praying this morning, whatever it is, I, like, I felt the spirit of the Lord upon me, but then by 3 p.m., you're like, you're going through some things? Anyone ever experienced that before? And it's like, pastor, you told me in weeks one through three, if I put these principles in place, like my life would be good and I wouldn't have this, these feelings of anxiety and depression. You see, sometimes in life, we just have to have the ability to talk ourselves out of it. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to help us understand and I want to help us to learn the art of talking yourself out of it. Now, this may not help you if you get pulled over, but I believe this will help you in those times and in those moments when you feel low. This is going to help you in those times when you get that unexpected result back that you didn't see coming. When that person in your life did something to you that you never expected them to do, we need to have the ability to talk ourselves out of it. The verse that I read at the onset, Psalm 42, I had a beautiful graphic for it. It's the backdrop for our sermon today. So before we get into Psalm 42, uh, I want us to understand what the book of Psalms is. So for those of you guys, maybe you're, you're kind of getting used to the Bible, you don't know too much about it. Uh, super simple. The book of Psalms is an Old Testament book. What that means is this book is in the Bible. The Bible has two testaments, Old and New. New Testament is Jesus. Old Testament is before Jesus was on the earth. Make sense? Super simple. So this book that we're studying today, Psalms, is an Old Testament book. And really what this book is, it's a book and it's a compilation of prayers and songs that people wrote. And, and it's one of my favorite books in the Bible because the book of Psalms, it sort of peels back this layer, it peels back this curtain, and it gives us a behind-the-scenes view into the lives of people. You see, for so many of us, we idolize what we can see, right? Like the public. We look up to people and we say, man, I want what they have. I want that joy. I want that peace. I want my family to look that good on Instagram when we take pictures. And, and so for a lot of us, like we, we idolize that which we can see. But what we don't realize is that public prowess always comes as a result of private victory. And why I love the book of Psalms is because Psalms sort of peels that curtain back. There's the outside, but then we get to see the inside. And so Psalm 42, this one that we are reading this morning, this is actually a prayer. This is a prayer by a man named David. For those uh, who don't know who David is, think David and Goliath. But at this time, David was the king of this nation called Israel. He was the king. Uh, he sort of had it all. Uh, he had the ladies. He had the looks. He had luxury. I'm just whatever else I can think of. 
David had it going on. But this psalm specifically, Psalm 42, was written in a time when things weren't going so well for David. It was written in a time when David was pulled over unexpectedly in life. You see, what happened is David had a son named Absalom. Can you guys say Absalom? And what happened was David had this son named Absalom, and Absalom, as he got older, he began thinking to himself, you know what? I could probably be- do a better job than my dad. How many of you guys feel that? Any sons out there? It's like, I could do better than he. And so Absalom, that's what he started thinking. He started thinking to himself, you know what? David, my father, he's great, but I'm the man. And so what happens where we pick up this story is that, that Israel, this nation, is in the midst of almost a civil war. Half of the people have gone with David. Half of the people have gone with Absalom, his son. And so for David, this is one of the lowest points of his entire life. There's the fact that he is losing half of his kingdom, but perhaps even more damning is the fact that his own son has turned against him. And so David is in this deep and he's in this dark place. But on the outside, David still has an army that he's in charge of. He still has people that he he is leading over. And so on the outside, David is sort of cool, calm, and collected. But what I love about Psalms is we get to see what's going on on the inside. And so this is a prayer from David. And this prayer right here, in this prayer, in these verses, we are going to learn techniques that are going to help us to win the battle within. Techniques that will help us learn to talk ourselves out of it. So in verses 1 to 3, which we're not going to read, David just, he's kind of crying out to God. He says, God, I need you. He says, as the deer needs water, so my soul needs you. God, I need you. I need you. And in verse 4, this is what he says. Psalm 42. He says, my heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. So David, he starts off this prayer in verse 4, and what he's doing, he's looking back. He's looking back. He's saying, my heart breaks as it used to be. My heart breaks as I think about that which once was. And, And I see something that happens here, and it's something that a lot of us do in the midst of our hardest times. A lot of times in life, when things aren't going well, we have this, this, uh, tendency to look back. We have this tendency to look back. It's like my life is not where I want it to be. My life is not what I thought it would be. So I'm going to look back. I'm going to look back at the glory days. So friends, I want to give us the first key that David gives us to winning the battle, the first key to talking ourselves out of it. There's no screen behind us. You got to take notes on your phone, take notes on your paper. The first thing that we need to do, if we want to learn how we can talk ourselves out of things, we have to put behind what was and focus on what is. Did you guys get that? Put behind what was and focus on what is. The reason that we need to do this is because I have a belief that in the hardest times in our lives, our souls and our hearts and our minds, they want to take us back. They want to take us back to how it used to be, back to those good times. And man, thanks to the Facebook memory, sometimes you're brought back like unexpectedly. You guys ever go on Facebook, you turn it on, you're like, I'm just here looking at memes, but then all of a sudden, it's like there's that memory from 10 years ago, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's been 10 years since I graduated, and I haven't done anything with my life. And it's, it's sort of, it sort of brings us back, and then we start to reflect on where we are today, and we're like, man, today was never as good as it was back then. I had so much hope, I had so much promise, I had so much joy. If only I could just go 
back. Or maybe that Facebook memory comes up and you're like, oh my gosh, I've gained a couple in, in some of the wrong places. And you look back and it's like, oh man, look at that body, look at that definition. And some of us are like David. It's like my, 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 heart, my heart breaks as I, as I think back at what my body used to be. And for so many of us, instead of living in the present, instead of living in the now, we want to go back. Our hearts want to take us back. We want to go back how it used to be. You see, I have this belief that in the midst of our hard times, a lot of times the past will look rosier than the present. The past will look better than the present. But the reason that I am telling us in this thing, if we want to talk ourselves out of it, we have to put behind what was and focus on what is. The reason being is because what was will not help you now. Your body for five years ago will not help you right now. Your high school graduation picture is not going to help you right now. That relationship that you're in then is not going to help you now. But for so many of us, we dwell on what was and we don't focus on what is. And I have this belief that what was, what was will always look better than what is, especially in our hardest times. But here's the truth, and I'll be honest. Sometimes what was will be better than what is. In David's case, of course it was better. He's now on the run. He's hiding from his son. There's this, there's this civil war going on. And David is saying, man, as I think back about what it used to be, as I think back on those good times, as I think back on the good old days, and then he starts envisioning the temple, which was like their church. He's like, man, those times I would go to church and I would be around the people praising. If only I could go back. If only that would, if that's what, what life was like right now. And you, so you see, in David's case, the past was better than the present, but the past was not going to help him where he was right now. And so I want to speak to someone this morning because for so many of us, I know there are people stuck in this room. Maybe you're stuck in a year like it's 2008. And you're trying to move forward, but you're constantly gripping onto the past. I want to tell you something that the past cannot help you today, especially if we dwell on it. I, I was talking... To, to, to some people a little while ago, and they're talking about how, how they moved here and, and the place that they came from, they had this vibrant group of friends. And they're like, man, when I was there, like we did everything together. We, we, we went to church together. We lived life together. We had all these amazing memories, and it was, it was the best time. And as I was sitting there listening, I could kind of see this David thing going on where they were like longing for the past. And, and I interrupted you, and I said, well, that's all great and dandy, but what are you doing in Edmonton? What are you doing in St. Albert? Who are your friends here? Because I'm going to tell you something. Your friends there aren't here, and so they cannot help you here. And so I said something to them, and it may sound harsh. I said, I forbid you forever from ever talking about those friends again until you make some friends here. And you see, I understand this. I'm not saying that we need to disrupt the past, completely cut it off, because I believe wholeheartedly we can learn from the past. We can learn from mistakes. We can learn from failures. If, if we don't have uh, a grip on our past, it will haunt us in the future. But what I'm trying to say this morning is that if we hold on to the past, if we dwell on the past, if, if we just try to live in the past, we will never move on in the future. It won't help us in the present. It won't help us in those times when life unexpectedly pulls us over. If you guys were here last week, we had an illustration uh, with my man Andrell here, and I gave us two words. When it comes to unforgiveness, I said, I said, we need to just drop it. I said, drop it. I want to give us two more words this morning for someone that's been stuck in the past, someone that's been stuck trying to relive what happened 10, 15 years ago. It's super simple. It's just move on. 
It's move on. It's move on. Turn to the person next to you and say, move on. Because you see, if we are stuck in what was, we will never focus on what is. And so here's the thing about David. The Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. David, uh, he was a guy, he had it going on. Understand this. As David is saying these words, because David is about to lay the groundwork for us that we can learn how to talk ourselves out of it. David, in this moment, more than even looking back, he's having a moment of self-reflection and self-realization. You see what David is saying, he's saying, as I dwell on what was, my heart is sad. So you see, David was taking control because he realized, you see, for a lot of us, we don't even realize what happens in our own emotions. We don't realize what those memories are doing to us. David is saying, when I go back, it puts me in a bad place right now. And so this is what he says, and, and he's about to move on. He's about to talk himself out of it. He says, as I dwell on what was, I, it doesn't take me anywhere. The first step is recognition. Then in verse five, this is what he says. He starts to turn things around. He says, why am I discouraged? He says, why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my savior, my God. Now I am deeply discouraged. Right now I'm deeply discouraged, but... I will remember you. I'm deeply discouraged right now, but I'm deeply discouraged right now, but I'm depressed right now, but I'm in a bad place right now, but I will remember you. David's like, I know where I am right now, but, but it's time to move on. But, but dwelling in the past wasn't doing me any good. But, but staying in that place wasn't doing anything. But staying in that cave of my depression was not doing anything. My heart is deeply discouraged, but... I will trust in God, but I will trust in God. So friends, the first step to talking yourself out of it, we said we have to stop dwelling on what was and focus on what is. So now that we are focusing on what is, we need to begin to take control. That's point number two for taking notes. It's take control. It's take control. It's the darkest time in David's life. This is the darkest time. And I know there are people in this room and maybe you feel like you're going through a dark time right now. Maybe you feel like you're in the, dip, the depths of depression or, or anxiety or fear has a grip, a grip on you. And maybe what around you is surrounding you. And in David's case, the darkness was surrounding him, and so David made a choice. He said, I can make that noise, I can let that darkness that surrounds me engulf me. He's like, or I can make that which is in me louder than that which is around me. You see, friends, that's what we're trying to do in this series. We're trying to make that which is in us louder than that which is around us. You see, for so many of us, we've made the mistake, we're trying to control the things that are around us. But in this series, what God is telling us to do is we need to take control of the things that are in us. David says, I can't control the fact that my son did this to me. I can't control the fact that I'm on the run. I can't even control my emotions. He says, but I'm going to praise God. I'm going to praise God instead. I'm going to choose to praise instead. You see, when it comes to taking control, a part of taking control in our dark times and our hard times is praising. It's praising. It's saying, but God. You see, I have a belief in the slide somewhere that praise puts things in perspective. Praise puts things in perspective. You see, David in this time, he could focus on that which was, but instead he decides to focus on what he can focus on. He's like, I can't focus on these people, but I can turn my attention to you, God. And I can focus on your goodness. 
I can focus on what you've done in my life. I'm going to be honest with you guys. This week, um, I was deeply, deeply discouraged. I have no idea why. You guys ever have a day where you're just discouraged? That's how I know our feelings lie to us. Nothing in my life happened, like literally nothing. I was just feeling discouraged. And I was praying, and as I was praying and I was, as I was journaling, uh, I started just saying to God, I was like, why am I so discouraged? And I felt God kind of respond back. And he's like, why are you so discouraged? He's like, why are you? And I was studying this passage at the time. And, and, and in this moment, as I was praying, I began to write my own psalm. I began to write my own song. I began to talk myself out of it. And then I started writing these things down. And I started it the same way David started his prayer. I said, why am I so discouraged? I said, why am I so discouraged when I am literally living out my dream? Why am I so discouraged when I have the best wife in the entire world? Why am I so discouraged when God has taken me from the depths of despair and he's placed me on the highest of heights? Why am I feeling this way? And it's funny, as I began to praise, one thing that I realized, I realized all of a sudden my heart started to be upturned. And I, I wasn't feeling discouraged. I wasn't feeling afraid. I started praising, and my praise put my fear into perspective. It put my doubts into perspective. It put my disappointments in perspective. Praise puts things in perspective. And maybe there's someone sitting here right now and you're saying to yourself, well, how can I praise if I don't feel like it? How can I show gratitude if my heart is feeling this way? This is where we need to understand. We need to put some lies to bed. We need to dig a grave and bury them. Praise and gratitude are not a feeling. Praise and gratitude are not an emotion. It's an action. It's something that we do. It's funny. David, in this time when he's writing this psalm, I don't think for a moment he's smiling, grinning ear to ear. I think, in fact, maybe he's crying. Maybe he's crying as he's writing this thing. Maybe he's in the deepest and darkest depression. But I love what verse 6 says. This is what he says. He says, I'm feeling deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. I need you guys to see this. The feeling is discouragement, but the action is to remember. The feeling is discouragement, but the action is to remember. You see, for so many of us, we're waiting for our feelings to get in front of us, then we will act. But that's why so many of us never act. We get stuck in these caves, we get stuck in these depressions because we're waiting for our feelings to catch up. I wanna give you guys something to chew on. When we talk ourselves out of it, it's not about saying my heart, come on heart, let's just feel it, come on God, let me feel it. It's about saying, I'm going to choose to praise. I'm going to choose to have an attitude of gratitude. Because when we choose that action, our emotions will follow. That's the promise. It's interesting. As I was reading the Bible, and one thing, if you guys were here in worship, maybe you guys saw some people like raising their hands uh, during the worship. And you're like, oh my gosh, where am I right now? Like, these are the weirdest people in the entire world. But it's interesting when it, when it comes to worship, when it comes to raising your hands, the Bible, if you read it, and in the Psalms, if you read it over and over again, they say, come to God and lift your hands in thanksgiving. Right? The Bible many times will say, just lift your hands and praise to God. And for the longest time, I thought raising your hands was an emotional response. It was something, and maybe you guys were looking like, that person's feeling the music right now. But get this, the reason that the Bible tells us to raise our hands and to lift our hands, it's not even an emotional thing. It's just an action. Because get this, it's easier for us to raise our hands than it is for us to raise our hearts. 
It's easier for us to raise our hands than it is for us to raise our hearts. I'm going to be honest with you guys. As I sit in the front row and, and as I raise my hands, I don't always feel it. I don't always feel like doing it. Sometimes, like, I'm wondering, like, are the slides going to work when I preach? Like, you know, is Mateo's going to crush it today? What's, and, and my mind is, and my heart is like, man, I don't feel like worshiping right now. I've got a million things going on. But in that moment, what I do is I raise my hand. Because when I raise my hand, I know that my heart will eventually follow. And it's so much easier to raise your hand than it is to raise your heart. That's the problem with so many of us. We've been trying to raise our hearts, but we need to raise our hands. We need to lift up praise with our mouths, not our hearts. David is saying, I feel discouraged, but I'm going to act encouraged. And the longer that I act encouraged, I know that my heart will eventually be encouraged. My heart will eventually be encouraged. And it sounds so simple, friends, but I, I promise you in your life this week, in those moments when you are feeling low, in those moments when you are feeling down, this simple principle can help you. It's just an attitude of gratitude. It's just thanking God for his goodness. It's thanking God for all that he has done in our lives. And that's what David did. David had this attitude of gratitude. But, but it's interesting, when I, when I look at the situation that David had, there was also one more thing that helped him out. There was one more thing that he had going for him. You see, in, in the darkest of dark times in his life, and in the darkest and the depths of our lives, none of us want to lead other people, Right? Like when you're feeling down, you don't want to encourage someone else. But one thing that I see as I look at David's story, one thing that, that I see that he has going for him, it's his leadership. I want to speak for a moment on the blessing and the burden of leadership. The blessing and the burden. Here, here's the burden of leadership. When you are a leader, the people that you lead are going to be there whether you feel good or not. That's the burden of leadership. It's hard. Right? I mean, all of us in this room, to some extent, you are a leader. I need you to understand this. All of us are a leader. I lead a church, but some of you in this room, you lead a small group. Some of you in this room, you lead kids. Some of you in this room, you're leaders at work. Some of you in this room, you're leaders with your friend group. All of us in this room, maybe it's in your relationship with your spouse, all of us have someone that we lead. A lot of times we don't really see it. But here's the burden of leadership, and I'll tell you guys this. One of the burdens of leadership for me, uh, I have to preach. I don't have to. I choose to. I choose to preach pretty well every single week. And there's a burden because like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like how many ideas do I really have? I've only been pulled over once. And so <laughs> the burden of leadership is that every single week when I have to lead people, whether it's in thought, whether it's in a sermon, whether it's I, I don't always feel good. I don't always feel encouraged. I don't always come to church with expectation and anticipation. But sometimes, I just need to say it. And here in this is the blessing of leadership. You see, the burden is the people, that are, all, the people are always going to be there. But the blessing is the people are always going to be there. And so what that means is there is someone counting on you. I need someone to see this. Moms, you guys know what this is like. You're a leader to your kids. The burden is your kids are always there. But the blessing is, you know you can't stay in bed all day and cry because you have kids that you have to raise. You have things that you have. It's, it's a blessing and it's a burden. And so I want you guys to think right now in your life, who in your life are you a leader towards? Who in your life is counting on you? And I'll say this, if you have no one in your life that's counting on you, you need to start looking in the mirror and asking yourself, how come I'm not living a life worth following? But someone is looking up to you. Someone needs you. It doesn't matter what you feel. You just, you just have to do it. 
You have to do it. It's not, it's not, it's not a feeling. It's just it's taking control. It's taking control and saying, I'm going to do it. That's the burden and that's the blessing. And that's what David does. He takes control. He takes control. He takes control. He says, I'm feeling discouraged, but I'm feeling discouraged. I'm feeling down, but there are people still counting on me. There's an army that still needs leading. There's someone in your life that still needs leading. You didn't come to church last week, but your kids wanted to be here and they needed you to be here. But that's fine. It's the next week because there's someone who's counting you, someone who is looking up on you. And I want us to take that burden and turn it into a blessing and say this week when I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling discouraged, I need to realize I can't be this way because someone is counting on me because my coworker needs to see me smile this week because I'm their only picture of Jesus. It's a blessing and it's a burden. And so David says, my heart is feeling discouraged, but I will remember you. Motivation is a good thing, friends. I had the best body of my life when I got married. Why? I had some motivation. I had to be on the beach for nine days. Who in your life is your motivation this week? For getting out of that funk. Who in your life is counting on you? For David, it was his armies. And I love what David says. He says, I'm not feeling it, but I'm going to do it. And this is what he says in verse 7. And this is kind of the, the, the verse we're wrapping our series with. He says, I hear the tumult of the raging seas. In other words, he's like, I, I, hear, I hear what is around me. I hear the loudness. I hear the voices. I hear the darkness. But he says, but each day, but each day, the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night I sing his songs, praying to the God who gives me life. You see, friends, this whole series, everything that we've been doing in this series, it has never been to quiet that which is around us. Because you can't control what's around you. You can't control other people. You can only control yourself. And so what David is saying, David's acknowledging, he says, I know the storm's going to be there. I know the darkness is going to be there. In your life this week, the storm's going to be there. But I can't control the storm. I can only control me. And so it says, each and every day, I am going to remember the unfailing love that God has poured upon me. Every single morning, I'm going to count my blessings. Every single morning, I'm going to thank God for this roof. I'm going to thank God for this car. I'm going to thank God for this heat. I'm going to have an attitude of gratitude. I can't change what's around me, but I can change what's in me. I can change what's in me. Understand this, friends as I close this whole series, if I were to say, what is this series about? What was the purpose of In My Feelings? The purpose of this series was so each and every one of us can experience freedom. It's so we can experience freedom. You see, for so many of us, for so long, for too long, we've been slaves to our emotions. We've been slaves to the circumstances that are around us. But God is saying to us in this series that he wants us to be free. He wants us to be free from the bondage of slavery, from the bondage of of those thoughts, from the bondage of depression. So he wants what's in us to be louder than what's around us. There's a verse in Galatians I I wanna share as we close. It's found in Galatians chapter five, verse one. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Another verse in the Bible says, if the son has set you free, you are free indeed. Jesus died for us so that we can experience freedom. But what he says, he says, because you are free, he says, stand firm and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. The only person in our lives, friends, that can make us slaves is us. It's me. The only person that can entrap you is you. Because Christ has set us free, therefore, stay free. 
That's what we've been trying to do. We want to take control of our emotions. We want to control that which is within us because when we are free, when we can live in the light of God's freedom, we are living the life that we are intended to live. It's a life of joy. It's a life of peace. It's a life of happiness. And it's saying what's in me is stronger and it's louder than what's around me. And that's all that matters. Thank you so much for listening. If you want more information on this church, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We promise you will find everything that you need and so much more. We cannot wait to see you guys again. Thank you so much for listening. Take care.